Well, as I mentioned earlier in our service, the theme this year is fighting the good fight. Now, you might be saying, wait a second, we're studying the book of First Timothy, and the theme of First Timothy is also fighting the good fight. Yes, that's true, partially true. The, the theme, actually, of Timothy that I gave it is fighting the good fight in the church. But it seemed like a good-fitting theme with so much going on in our world today so much in our world uh, compressing against believers that we would fight the good fight. And this would be in a more practical kind of way, not just the church, but a more practical kind of way. In fact, why even use the term fight at all? Well, it's in the Bible. Paul uses it. But we use the word fight because the Christian life is a battle. In fact, it's a constant battle. It's a joyous battle, at times a very peaceful battle. We say we have joy, we have peace, we have a slice of heaven. Why is it a fight? Why is it a battle? Well, we'll talk more about that, but we do know indeed it is. One of the reasons is is because we struggle with our own sinful nature. And I'm going to be breaking up this series into a couple of areas One is fighting the good fight in behavior. That's what we're going to talk about today. Living the Christian life. It is a battle. It's a battle from external sources. It's it's a battle from Satan himself. And it's a battle within with the sinful nature. We'll talk about that. I want to also then, as we continue on in these sermons, uh, fighting the good fight in ministry. Ministry is, is a fight. I don't mean to say that it's a, a bad thing. And by the way, I'll, I'll clarify it by calling it a good fight. We'll, we'll tell you what that means. But it, it is a battle. The enemy would just as soon not us do any ministry at all, not teach the word of God, not share the gospel. We also will talk about, not today, but we also will talk about fighting the good fight in spiritual warfare. That really seems to fit. Does it not? That title. And then I want to look at 2 Timothy 4 7 because Paul uses this phrase again, fighting the good fight, where he said, I have fought the good fight. There is necessary admonitions to fight the good fight to the very end. Not just a little bit, but to the very end. And so I'm excited about looking at this theme. I will ask you, if you will, turn to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. We want to read verses 11 and 12. Now, verse 12 is actually our theme verse, but we want to keep things within a context, and so I'm going to look at verse 11, but this morning we'll actually go back to verse 1. Anyway, Paul writes to Timothy in verse 11 of chapter 6, But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. See how that is talking about behavior, Christian behavior? And then he says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fighting the good fight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the words, Lord, of the various scripture. The idea of fighting, Lord, of of striving, straining, those things are very, very necessary and we need to be reminded of it. Father, we know that as we think of our Christian lives, if we just are idle and do nothing, we will, just like a canoe on a stream, it'll be going with the flow. But Father, we're called to go against the flow and so that takes strenuous uh, exercise, Lord. It takes commitment. 
And that's what we ask for as we're looking at our 2024 theme, Lord, fighting the good fight. Would you help us to apply this to our life in a very, very practical way? And Father, we'll thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, why the word fight and why do we have to do this? And why fight the good fight in our behavior? And, it's, and at times it seems like that is the only fight. And at times that seems like that's the worst fight. But we must keep on fighting the good fight in behavior because number one, we are commanded to do so right here. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. We must keep on fighting the good fight in behavior because we do struggle with the old nature. We have a new nature. The Holy Spirit dwells within us and empowers us, but we still struggle with the old nature, and it becomes a battle. And therefore, we must keep on fighting the good fight in pursuing things, as he tells in verse 11, pursue righteousness. We must keep on fighting and pursuing godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. This is what we're talking about when we talk about fighting the good fight of faith. And we'll explain exactly what that means. Well, this morning as we take a look, and I invite you to look at verse 12 at the moment. We're going to go back uh, to verse 11, and then we're going to go back to verse 1 and come all the way forward. Uh, one of my objectives is not to preach 1 Timothy per se, because we are going through the book of 1 Timothy. When we're done with our theme, we will go back to chapter 3. We'll start in chapter 3, and we'll be, begin working our way through it. And by the way, since we are going to be working our way through 1 Timothy, I thought that would be very good to have the same theme, really apply it to our lives. But let's look at verse 12. Let's look at really just the exposition of it, if, if you will. First of all, when it says, fight the good fight, what does that mean? What does fight mean, the word fight? Well, it's the Greek word agonizomai, and we get our English word agonize from it. And that's a good understanding of what it means to fight. It literally means to strive or to strain, to struggle. This is what we see, and we find out of various usages of this word. It's not only fight in a battle. It's sometimes used in athletic contexts of the Greeks. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25 uses this. It says, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. Then they do it to receive a perishable wreath but we an imperishable. That word compete is the word here. So it can mean athletics. And, and it's not just, you know, you know we'll, we'll try a little bit. I mean, this is kind of like the Olympics, the Greek Olympics, where this was first designed. In fact, uh, even the word agonize uh, gives the idea of wrestling and, and agonizing and fighting and, and wrestling. It is used in fighting, and I want to mention that. Uh, it is used in fighting. So uh, some of our translators uh, translated fight. I, I think it's fine. It's within the context. Some will use the word compete. I get it. That's fine. Um, it, with me, I don't have a problem because the word fight is combined with the good fight. So it's not bad fighting or the bad fight. It is used in the context of fighting. In John chapter 18, verse 36, Jesus himself said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting. It means fighting with or without weapons, fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. So even there is a context in which it's used for fighting. It is also used in a context of ministry. And I love this. And we'll be talking about this context. 
By the way, this phrase, fight the good fight, is used three times in 1st and 2nd Timothy. Um, let's look at them quickly. First of all, 1st Timothy, chapter 1, verse 18. In fact, we've already gone over this. We've already studied this verse, but let's just read it. It seems to be a popular phrase of Paul, and it fits Paul's life, and it fits the admonition to young Timothy. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. We see it mentioned in verse 12. I won't read it again because we're going through it. But if you would go over to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, we see where Paul applies it to himself. And he says, 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. But I have fought the good fight. So he is uh, talking about his life. And what was his life like as an apostle? Well, it was a fight. It was a good fight, but it was a fight nonetheless. And that's the context that I think we see here in chapter 6, verse 12. Now, I want to say a little bit more about its intensity because this really is an intense word. That's why our English word agonize. When you say agonize, there aren't very many adjectives that you could use to go a little bit more superlative than that. But the idea of this fighting or competing, whatever translation you want to look at there, I think fighting is good. The idea of this fighting is a fighting that is striving. It's intense struggle. Lenski explains, keep on straining every muscle and nerve in the noble straining for the faith. So we're talking about putting it into gear. We're talking about not just being in the ready. We're talking about being engaged and being fully engaged. Just to show that, that it is very intense, when you look at this and you look at these various verses, these are in commandments. They're in imperatives. So the imperative means you must do this. It doesn't mean, well, if, if you... If you find yourself doing nothing, standing around doing nothing, then maybe you could consider this. But I don't want to offend you. It's not that at all. It's you must do this. And to, to further impress the point, it is a present tense, which means it's continuous. You must keep on fighting the good fight. And to bring one more thing out for the intensity it's in the middle voice, which it means you yourself. You must, for yourself, keep on fighting. Now, someone may encourage you, but you have to take your stance, your place, and engage in your fight. It is the fight for the Lord. It is for the fight for Christianity. But it is you who are fighting, and that's what the admonition is. You must for yourself, keep on fighting. But let's talk about the fact that it's a good fight. What does that mean? Well, the Greek word here is kolos. There's also another Greek word, uh, at times agathos, that means good. But I think here's a great, a great example of the difference. Kolos means more like intrinsically good, inherently good, that which is good and noble. This is a good, this is in, inherently a good fight. It's a noble fight. It's a fight for the Lord. It's a fight for God's will. And even when we think about, what about fighting spiritual warfare? That's not a good fight. Well, ultimately it is because you're fighting 
to bring about God's good will and the furtherance of his kingdom. That's what makes that good. The fight itself isn't always good. We may be bruised. We may be scarred. We may be bleeding. But we ought to be fighting. And it is a good fight. Now where kolos, this word, means intrinsically good, agathos, carries the idea of it's benevolent or it's useful. It's good. It's good for use. Uh, it's a good word, and sometimes these words are synonyms of each other. But I just thought it was very interesting that this one carries the idea that it's intrinsically good. It's noble. In fact, some of the words that's even used are beautiful, harmonious uh, when it comes to this word. Now, agathos is good too, uh, but it's more for you know, that which is useful and beneficial. So this fight in and of itself, intrinsically, is good. And it will bring about good results, beneficial results. But this fight in and of itself is a good fight. It's good morally. It's, it's good in the moral sense, right? That's what this is, a moral fight. It is righteous and good even though the word fight is used it's a good fight it's a moral fight striving in the christian life striving in ministry striving in spiritual warfare striving to the bitter end is the good fight the moral fight the holy fight that we are called to now when we look at fighting the good fight, there are several ways in which it's used in different contexts. I want to look at this context first and foremost. So it says, fight the good fight of faith. When it was mentioned in chapter 1, it was in reference to Timothy's prophecies, which probably were was his call to ministry. And so we see fighting the good fight in ministry. And, and here, I think it's fighting the good fight in Christianity in general. Now, the word faith has several interpretations and several shades of meanings at times. This could mean faith, the faith that you have to exercise, or it could mean objectively the faith, meaning Christianity, standing up for the faith, um, you, you, that you're not shipwrecked in the faith, or you're fighting for the faith. That's the sense that I believe that it is used here. It's talking about the Christian faith. Now, there is another sense, and the other sense is you exercise faith. And how important is that in the Christian life? You exercise faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. You place your faith in him. That's subjective, your faith. You need faith in the Christian life to trust that the Lord is living in you through his spirit and the new nature, empowering you as he's, as he's admonishing you to live for him. You need faith to trust in him and to go out in obedience. We'll see that in verse 11, but verse 12, I believe it is the objective faith. In fact, it literally has the article in it, and it can be, and I think should be translated, the faith. Fight the good fight of the faith. And so that's what I think we're talking about here, Christianity. And I think it's Christianity in general. When we're going through First Timothy, I'm, I'm going to be uh, giving the idea of within the church. Uh, that is the context of it. I think those, this verse, and I think our intention as elders, is to talk about fighting the good fight in Christianity in general. All of the things that, that if I were to say to you, what are the things that you, that you think we need to battle as Christians? That's what we're talking about here. And so fighting the good fight of the faith. And as I said, we're going to talk about the behavior of the faith, our behavior today. We'll talk about ministry, that's the faith, faith in uh, the faith ministry, and then even spiritual warfare, and then faith to the very end. I'm fighting the Christian life, the Christian faith 
to the very end. But as we look at 1 Timothy, before we proceed any further, it is kind of interesting because he, he makes a comment here that I, th I think we need to understand it properly. As soon as he says that, he says this, take hold of the eternal life to which you have been called, to which you were called. What does that mean? Uh, what, why is that part of the context? Well, let me say what it's not. He's not saying to Timothy, Timothy, you're not saved, then it's about time you take hold of eternal life and get saved. He's not saying that at all. Nor is he saying, Timothy, well, I know that you trusted Christ at a certain point in your life, but you need to keep yourself saved, and you need to keep holding on, so take, take hold of it so that you make it to the end. No, Scripture teaches that we, the moment we trust Christ, we are saved eternally. Well, then what does it mean? He's talking about Timothy's perspective. In your perspective, Timothy, take hold of the eternal life. In other words, Timothy, and this isn't saying that Timothy had let go of it, but you can imagine Paul is, you know, doesn't bother Paul to remind. It doesn't bother Paul to say it again, right? We don't sometimes like that. We don't, well, you told me the first time, you know. Well, yeah, this is so important. Timothy, your perspective must always be about eternal life. It must always be about spiritual things. Fighting the good fight means having a, a spiritual perspective, a heavenly perspective. Now, that's not to say that we can't see anything here in this world. Um, right now, we probably need to pay a little attention to our vehicles. In fact, there are several people who are not here this morning because they did have problems with their vehicles. So uh, they, I suppose, are watching live streaming. And, and uh, uh, we have some here who had problems with their vehicles and made it here. So, you know, yesterday, 20 below, get into that four-wheel drive, taking me so many places in the backwoods and not even a, I ain't going to start, I ain't going to start, I ain't going to start, not even. But my wife's little car, vroom, right up. So we're driving her car right now. Anyway, so glad you're here, as cold as it is. But I'd like to really light a fire in our soul, light this fire of the good fight, to fight the good fight of faith. And our perspective must be about spiritual things. We're concerned about earthly things. We, we don't want to be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. But we want to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all those other things will be added. That's what, that's what he's telling Timothy. Now he adds he adds a little bit of theology. You know, Paul is amazing. Whenever he talks practical, he adds theology. Whenever he talks theology, he adds practice. I, I, just, I just love it. So he says, have this perspective of the eternal life to which you were called. You were called, Timothy. The Lord called Timothy to salvation just as he has called every believer here to salvation. Need I remind us, Ephesians 1.4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That is his calling. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, verse 30, it tells us that. Put this together in your mind. And these whom he predestined, Ephesians 1.4, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. They came to Christ. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. In his mind, it's already done and settled. We're in heaven. No more fighting the good fight. No more struggle with sin. But we're not there yet experientially. Only in the sovereign mind of God. So until then, we need to fight the good fight. And then he says, and you made, you made uh, the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now, most likely he's referring to the time when Timothy trusted. 
Christ as his Savior. And if you remember, that would have been some 16 years earlier than the writing of this letter. This would have been during Paul's first missionary journey. Acts chapter 14, we're told that Paul went to Lystra. And he continued to preach the gospel. And we find out from these letters that Paul writes to Timothy, true son of the faith, my true son. Well, what does that mean? Not literal son, but spiritual son leading him to Christ. Well, some have said, which I'm not really all that against, this good confession that he made in the presence of many witnesses, he also made a confession when he was called to ministry. That happened about three years later than his conversion, when Paul was on his second missionary journey in Acts chapter 16. And Paul wanted Timothy to go. Timothy himself wanted to go, and I believe uh, there were even these prophetic revelations that Timothy was to go with Paul. And so that's what it was. So he's not saying, you know, you need to be saved or you need to get into the ministry. You're a pastor. It's about time you get into the ministry. It was, you need to have the perspective of eternal life in everything you do. It it began when you first came to Christ. It's in your calling and in your ministry, and it's got to be there to the very end. That, That we're fighting that fight. Are we not fighting the fight to have that perspective? Well, let's move now from just the theme and, and the exposition of this to fighting the good fight in behavior. This is what I want to talk about. So we're, we're talking about it in general. We're talking about it in general. And I first want to talk about the necessity for this kind of a fight. Why do we need this kind of a fight? It is a fight. Well, turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 7. Now, Romans chapter 7 is where he talks about that which I want to do, I cannot do, and that which I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing, that struggle. Now, some people interpret this section as a pre-conversion experience. Well, of course, Paul struggled that because he was not a believer. However, I don't think that's the context. I think the context of Romans chapter 7, and I'm, and I'm, I'm glad it is, Romans chapter 7 is the struggle of a post-conversion experience. You know, uh, we, we see the words that he uses, we see the context, and you know what else? We see our very experience in the Christian life that, that there is a struggle. Look at with me at verses 14 through 16. We'll just read that. It goes from 14 to 25. He writes, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into the bondage of sin. For what I am doing... I do not understand. And we get like that, don't we? For I am not practicing what I would like to do. Is that your heart? You know, at least at least that's a good thing when you're saying to yourself, this is what I want. I want to live for the Lord. He says, I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. And sometimes we do hate our sin. Sometimes we do hate the fact that we sin. Sometimes we, we do hate our fallenness. And, 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 you know, oh, Lord, you know, I tried, but I failed again. He says, but if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. Verse 17, so now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. And as you look at this, I, you see Paul having this battle of he's a believer and yet he has this struggle. There is victory over this struggle. Romans 6, Romans 8. I'm so glad Romans 7 is between 6 and 8. <laughs> because Romans 6 is about our identification. We're baptized into his death and raised again to newness of life. 
And Romans chapter 8 is the victory is found through the Holy Spirit. But the struggle is still there. And it's an internal struggle. And I just for a moment want to talk about a few things about the, uh, the action. Okay, because of the struggle, there needs to be an action. Um, so the action we're going to talk about doesn't necessarily mean fighting the good fight, but fighting the good fight does necessarily mean putting these actions into practice. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 6, verse 4. When Paul talks about these things, there's an action. He's not, he doesn't well, that's, that's my lot. I'm a believer. I'm stuck here with this. Romans chapter 6, verse 4 says, Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism. That would be spiritual baptism, beloved, into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Hallelujah. That's the provision. And then drop down to verse 12. It, it is to say yes to the Lord, but it also is to say no to sin. Verse 12, Romans 6, 12 says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey it in its lust. The command is to the individual. You are not to let it reign. And this is a present imperative. It's a command. You must not let sin reign. And you're constantly doing this. You're constantly not letting sin reign. That is a battle, beloved. That's a conflict. That's why we need to fight. That's why when we talk about fighting the good fight as our theme for this year, this is one of the areas that we're talking about. Another one, you don't have to turn there, but it's 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. Paul says, But I discipline my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. You get the idea, I beat myself. Now, this is not, this is not literally... But this is internally. In fact, the word means for discipline, it means to hit yourself in the eye. Give yourself a black eye. And, and you would say, well, why there? You know, why not just knock your head? <laughs> Which wouldn't be bad either. But he's thinking of athletic games and fighting and bat boxing. Well, you don't always knock your opponent out by hitting him in the eye. No, but you close his eyes when they swell so that you can knock him out. And Paul says, that's what I'm going to do to myself so that I must behave as I ought to behave so that my ministry is not disqualified. This is the action. So I have no problem at all interpreting this passage as fight the good fight. Now, let's go to verse 11. This is 1 Timothy Chapter 6, verse 11. I want you to notice here that there are two actions, actually two commands. The first one is to flee some things, and the other is to pursue some things. So you're not chasing after some things. In fact, you're avoiding them, while other things you are pursuing. So... I think this is well within the context of verse 12. I do see that he's giving a barrage of applications. And sometimes you see Paul do that. You see Paul giving these barrage of applications. And I like to say it reminds me of Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris says, I'm going to hit you with so many lefts that I'm, you're going to beg for a right. And sometimes Paul hits us with so much application. Oh, the Bible just doesn't apply to me, people say. You've got to be kidding me. Sometimes he hits us with so much application, you beg for theology for a break. But he says, flee these things. What things is he talking about? I think at least he's talking about from verse 1 of this chapter 
all the way to verse 11. And we're going to be looking at a few of those. And then he says, you're not only fleeing from those things, but you're pursuing these other things. So fighting the good fight is just that. Some things in my life I cannot allow. I must avoid them. I must flee. In fact, the word here for flee uh, is fugo. We get our English word fugitive from it. You're running away from something. You're escaping. You're escaping from these negative things. So these things that are sinful, these things that are wrong, you're escaping from them. And it's a command. He's not saying, you know, let's negotiate. You must. And this is scripture, so it's an authority of God. It's the command is coming from God. Don't let these things in. It's a fight, but don't let these things in. And then he says, pursue, which is also a command. And it's the reverse action. Now we're not avoiding something, but now we're chasing something. And the word here for pursue uh, even can mean persecute. If someone is persecuting another person, he's chasing after him. Well, that really doesn't have the context of which we're talking about here, but, but we're running it down. We're pursuing it. By the way, this is the same word for, that we have here in pursue that we had in our last year's theme. Pressing, pressing on, chasing after, following it, straining your muscles like a runner to get after this for, the, for Christ-likeness. Now, we're moving away from the general idea of Christ-likeness to the detail. Here's some of the things that we ought to be putting in our behavior. And by the way, the, the, what I love about this is this list here of things that we are to pursue. He says it several times, several times to Timothy. This is a, an important list for Paul and should be for Timothy. Now, we're going to go through a couple of these, and we're also going to go back to verse 1. We're not going to get done this week, and that's fine. Um, and that's fine. Now, I will say, you have a shorter version of my notes in your hands. If you want the longer version, it is or, or will be on the internet uh, of the Grace Bible Church notes. So I put it on there because you can do as many pages as you want on that, but here I make sure that you know, if, I'm, if I fill up two, two pages, single-spaced, size 10, that's probably enough. <laughs> I can never get it down in a short amount of time. All right. So let's begin then and talk about the fighting, the good fight, and the behavior of the believer. And here I have listed pursue righteousness, pursue godliness, pursue faith, Pursue love, and we probably won't get to perseverance, and we probably won't get to gentleness this week. That's fine. But first of all, pursue righteousness. Now, you remember, actually, just last week, we talked about this is one of the character qualities of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is one of the things that we ought to have in our lives. He was righteous. He did what was right. We should do what was right. Well, here's Paul. He's saying the same thing. But what does it mean? And, and I think we know what it means, but I love to do this. I love to look at the Greek word. I love to look at the context and, and really dig, dig in deep. It means uprightness. Your life is upright, and what you do and your behavior is upright. And yes, sometimes that takes a battle. But that's what it means. Now, the believer is righteous through Christ, through his death on the cross and atonement, and giving us his righteousness, but this is practical righteousness. We are to exhibit Christ-like uprightness in our lives. As I said, he admonishes Timothy of this somewhere else. Don't look there, but in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So it's this idea of pursuing it. But I want to I show you a, a really neat verse that you know 
but have you ever thought it, about it this way? Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Oh, we love this verse. This is why we're here. This is, this is our battle. This is all about fighting the good fight of fighting for the inspiration and infallibility of Scripture as believers. Paramount verse, 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is inspired by God, breathed by God. It means it comes from God. This is God's Word that we hold in our hand. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Training in righteousness. In other words, we're to have this character quality, the same as the Lord Jesus Christ, this practical righteousness, and it's the scriptures that train us in it. In fact, we are being trained, Lord willing, we are being trained right now, this very moment, going over these passages in righteousness. Now, I want to be a little practical here. So what what are some ways? Well, there's a lot of ways. And what are some scriptures that we could look at? Well, there's a lot of scriptures. But I decided to go back to the beginning of this chapter. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I want to just look at verses 1 and 2. We're going to, I think, see an application. Now, I'm not going to preach this verse because we will be preaching it. But I want us to at least listen to this. All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. Why? So that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Those who have believers as their masters must not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but must serve them all the more because those who partake of the benefits are believers and beloved. And then he says, teach and preach these principles. So I feel very, very uh, happy to do what I'm doing today, teaching and preaching these principles. Now, now, in a nutshell, we don't, we're not really in slavery. We, we work and we get paid. Now, we may say the pay is just enough to keep us out of slavery. But in all seriousness, we, we work for our employers. We We have a workplace. And what's important, what he's really saying here is have a good testimony. You want to pursue righteousness? Pursue righteousness at your place of employment. Watch your attitude. Watch your actions. Watch your stealing time. Watch all of this. Regard those who you serve in honor. Now, maybe they're not honorable, but their position is honorable and and submission is one of the character qualities of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what we are told to do as well. We talked about that in our Sunday school this morning. And so we see that, regard them with all honor. Why? So that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Could you imagine if a, an unbelieving employer hires a, a Christian And it's so bad that he says, I am never going to hire a Christian again. That's the wrong message. That's the wrong message that we are sending. It ought to be, hey, is there any more people from your church that are looking for work? That's what it ought to be. We are to make the Lord Jesus Christ as attractive as we can by living Christian life in Christ-likeness, we're we're doing a segue from that, and our doctrine. And by the way, when he says that the doctrine will not be spoken against, he's making a connection between what you believe and how you behave. That's with unbelievers. What about believers? Well, the same thing is true with with believers, you know. Uh, They're in a workplace if you have believers. You know, the thing is with believers, what I love about the believing community, our family of God, is the grace. Now, we have to have that because this is Grace Bible Church. 
So we have to have grace and we have to have a Bible. And then we make up a church. But grace, the grace that we extend to one another, the forgiveness, and that's the way it ought to be. But woe be to the Christian who thinks, well, I can take advantage of that then because they'll forgive me no matter what. I can act any way I want. That is not biblical thinking. That is not Christian behavior. And so we ought not to act presumptuously and take advantage of such grace. We should serve one another all the more because this is a gracious people. This is a forgiving people. You are forgiving. You are gracious. You love even me. You love me. And I thank you. And I say that from the most humblest statement I can. Thank you. And I love you and I love you for it. And I want to love you and serve you all the more. That's the idea. And when people see that, that is a testimony to the name of God and doctrine. So believers must always fight the good fight of Christ-like behavior before unbelievers. And, and this, what, this isn't just our job. This could be our neighbors. This could be out in the marketplace, wherever. And I know sometimes it doesn't always go well out there. Maybe a neighbor is treating us unfairly. Maybe we didn't appreciate the deal that we got from a consumer. Well, are we ever allowed to say something? Sure, but you must say it in a Christ-like thing. God forbid that they would say, I can't believe that person is a Christian. I can't believe it. You know, uh, God forbid that when you walk into that place, they say, I'm taking a break. So th this is what we're talking about here. Believers must always fight the good fight of Christ-like behavior before unbelievers. And that also would be the same for before believers, fighting the good fight. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's, I mean, sometimes without even knowing, we're in a battle, we're fighting a battle, but we're not fighting the good battle, we're fighting the bad battle, okay? Well, the next one that he mentions is godliness. And by the way, Paul likes this word because he uses it some nine times in First and Second Timothy. He likes it. It's a theme, really. And there's a lot of ways in which we can look at it. Well, the first thing that I want to do is let's describe it again because we've already seen it. We've already uh, seen it in First uh, Timothy chapter two, verse two. Uh, it says we were to we were to pray for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. And the word godliness almost suggests that we're trying to live in Christ-like character. And I'm not opposed to that, but that's not what the word means. Eusebia. Eusebia means worship well. You worship well. What you do in your life is an expression of your worship towards God. Again, we don't want people saying, that is some weird godliness right there. That is some weird worship that this person is doing. It is the idea of we have reverence for the Lord in everything we do, and so that's why we act in a certain way, godliness. And by the way, it does cause us to live more like Christ. But the word itself means reverence for God. Paul writes in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, for bodily discipline is only of a little profit. Whew. I'm glad. There, there goes one of my New Year's resolutions. I don't have to worry too much about No, just kidding. But godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It's spiritual profit. That's what it is. And it, it does well with the testimony. It does well in, in behavior. It does, it's what we ought to be and do. Now, there's probably some people who are going to hate it because it's going to convict them. It's going to convict them that we're believers and they're not. They don't like God and they see Christ in us and they want no part of it. Well, okay, all right. 
That's part of what we're called for and called to. But there will be those who will be attracted to our Savior. Want to know why? That's the idea that we have here. Now, what practical way can we look at that? Well, Paul does that for us in our next verses. Uh, look, if you will, to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Go back a little bit, but we're just going to go back to verse 6. And I know we're skipping a few verses, but we'll, we'll cover them. But look at what Paul does. He talks about godliness, and then he talks about, Tim, contentment. He talks about not being greedy for gain or the love of money because godliness in itself is a great gain spiritually. So let's look at that and see if there's any applications. And by the way, uh, he, he just got done talking about which verses we didn't look at, verses 3 through 5. He was talking about false teaching and false teachers. And so this is coming out in the lives of false teachers, should not be coming out in the lives of believers. Verse 6, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. There's the principle. Let's just go back to verse 5 for a second. Look at the very last phrase. He's talking about these false teachers, and it says, these men suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Wow. They're looking at Christianity as being a way to make money. And I think there's a, I think there's a side of us that is not accustomed to thinking this way, and it's kind of shocking, but it's true. And just look at some of the, the uh, tele-evangelists, and you hear of all of the problems that they are in with the expensive homes and the planes and all of that. Um, you know, and, and they get in trouble with the IRS as well. I actually did hear, I knew, I knew a brother in the Lord, and he told me that his physical brother wanted to get in the ministry. And by the way, he was in trouble. I think he even did some jail time. I'm talking about this other brother, not the brother who's my brother of another mother, okay? I'm talking about his brother. He, he said his brother actually wanted to get in the ministry because there's a lot of money to be made. That's horrible. And I've often thought about this. It, it, it is true. It is true because of the character of God's people. They are kind and they are good and they are gracious and merciful and benevolent. And if it's presented in the right way, and knowing that we have to have discernment too, but if it's presented in the right way, God's people will give. I feel this way about this congregation. I think I am very careful what I will present before you people to give to. Because I'm thinking 99.9% .9 of the time, if we present it to you, you're going to give. That's how, that's how good you are. So be very careful about that. But I think there's these men, these false teachers that take advantage of that. There is money to be made. You know, especially if you're going to put some sort of spiritual guilt trip on them. Well, if you give to this ministry uh, this amount of money, God will bless you not twofold, but threefold. You know, it used to be twofold. But now, you know, now with inflation, it had to be moved up to threefold. And, and this is sad. And it goes also to the point that that should never be named among any of us as believers. We should not be greedy for gain. We should not be cheating people. We, we should be above board in all things. We should be godly, even in the area of money. But let's read on. And by the way, contentment, great devotional by Tim yesterday on contentment. Uh, contentment is being satisfied with all that God has given us, along with thanksgiving. Tim told us yesterday that discontentment is ultimately being discontent with God, his will, 
and his provision. Appreciate that. Um, but let's read on. But godliness is actually, verse 6, is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. And he, he's going to give the arguments here, for we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. That, that's what the bottom line is. That's not saying that we can't have a nice home. Uh, that's not saying that we can't have a nice car. I, I'm not promoting that at all. I'm not promoting sell all your possessions and give it to the church. But when we look at things biblically, you know, you know what the bottom line is? Food and shelter. And of course, right now, shelter would be very, very important under the cold temperatures that we have. Uh, and in fact, there's a proverb, Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9, where he says, Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, so that I not be full and deny you, Lord, and say, who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. If you have food and shelter and you have, that is the basics right there. We ought to thank God. And that's not to say that, you know, you know I'm not saying you can't, Go beyond that. Uh, I'm not saying that at all, but we ought to have that attitude. That's the attitude. We ought to be content with that because we do become discontent because we don't have this, because we don't have that, or this didn't work out the way we want, and we're discontent, which Tim rightly said is ultimately being discontent to God and his sovereignty and his provision. Verse 9, but those who want to get rich and, that, and, and there, there it is. That's a motivation. It's, it's not wrong to increase your, your income uh, or, or your savings by working hard, saving it little by little. That's biblical. But get rich and get rich quick schemes, that's not biblical. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not money, but the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. All within the context of godliness there. So we must fight the good fight to know that true gain is spiritual gain. And spiritual gain is godliness. We must fight the good fight not to be discontent. We must fight the good fight to not love money. But we must fight the good fight to love the Lord, our God, with all our hearts and strength. One more. Uh, we'll quickly go through this one. And that is to pursue faith. That's what he says in verse 12. He says, pursue righteousness, godliness, and faith. Now, whereas in verse 12, when he said, fight the good fight of faith, it's the faith, Christianity. Here, in, in verse 11, when he said, pursue this, I do believe he's talking about the exercise of faith growing in faith, the faith that we exercised the moment we heard the gospel and we exercised it in Christ. And I pray that everyone here at one time or another has exercised their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for their sins and trusted him by faith, faith alone as savior for them, for forgiveness of sins and eternal life. But we also need that this kind of faith exercise faith in the Christian life. We'll see that as well. Let me talk about that. I want to talk about both, but we'll pick that up for next week. Let's talk about 
faith, exercising faith. Where does it come in in the Christian life? Well, it comes in with not being discouraged and having faith in his promises. In fact, there, there's a multitude of problems, internal problems, internal thoughts and attitudes that go away just by having faith in God's promises. Sometimes the anxiety goes out the window. Sometimes depression goes out the window. Discontentment goes out the window because we have faith in God and faith in God's word. But where also the rubber meets the road is faith in living the Christian life. Now, we just read those verses in Romans saying that we were baptized with him in his death spiritually so that the power of sin is cut off even though we still have the sinful nature. But we've been raised with him so that we have newness of life. If you doubt that, you're going to struggle. But because it's God's word, there should be no doubt at all. God cannot lie. And so when I face things that I have to work through or face temptation, I have to know these things and have faith in these things. Wait a second. Sin shall not have victory over me, it says in verse 14. Shall not have mastery over me. And I am supposed to not let sin reign in my life, which means I can for the first time in my life now that I'm a believer because he's given me a new nature. The Holy Spirit lives within me. I can be filled with the Spirit and have his empowerment over sin. You can, you can, you can. And that's where we need to exercise the faith. I'll close with this. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is fantastic because it talks about the Holy Spirit, and that is how we get over chapter 7. But I want to show you something here. I want to show you salvation and sanctification. Salvation is verses 1 through 3. He says in verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Who wouldn't want that? He says, for, let me explain, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, salvation, good works, for what the law, or good works, could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. Salvation. Verse 4, sanctification. So that, for the purpose that, the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So we're not living under the law but the righteous intent of the law, the word of God, the command of God, the righteous intent of the words of Christ, the character of Christ, will be fulfilled in us as we're not walking according to the flesh, but we're walking according to the spirit. And you know what? It takes faith. If you don't believe that, well, first of all, if you don't know it, you're in trouble. If you know it, but you don't believe it, you're still in trouble. And even if you know it and believe it, you still are going to have to fight through this. Fight the good fight to walk not according to the flesh. And, and, and you feel it. You feel its impulses. But according to the Spirit. I'm walking according to the Spirit by faith. That's also what it means to fight the good fight in behavior as a believer. Believers must fight the good fight by yielding to the Spirit and walking in righteousness. So we see these things. This is what we've embarked on in discussing fighting the good fight, not specifically talking about in the church, although that's the context of 1 Timothy, but in a general sense, the Christian life. What are the things that we are to fight? Well, the number one thing 
that I think we do deal with is our own behavior, our own life, our own Christian living. That's what we struggle with day by day. That's what we have victory in when we walk with the Spirit. And so I pray that as we go through this, we'll see that there is a battle and that we need to engage ourselves in this battle. This is a good battle and we can have victory through the Lord in this battle. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for these things. We've just touched the surface of it, Lord, but Lord, we do ask you to give us understanding, give us knowledge, give us faith of these things, Lord. Father, also too, even though uh, you have put these things in us and want to work it through us, Lord, help us in that last step of faith and obedience, Lord, to live for you. It is of utmost importance. That's why we must keep on fighting for ourselves. We, meet, we must keep on fighting the good fight of faith. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.